0: I was reminded this weekend that little eyes are always watching my two-year-old. wanted to watch me paint the laundry room. And it's nothing special to watch me paint. I'm not a particularly good painter, and I usually have a bad attitude the entire time. But he just kept saying, watch daddy, watch daddy. He wanted to watch me Pain. And it was a reminder that uh, our children are watching us. And, and we need to understand that. But not only do we need to understand that, we need to leverage that reality for good. And I want to talk to you about that by sharing with you what is called the first principle of parenting. The first principle of parenting. We're stepping away from Joshua this morning And just taking a week to think about families. And so, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 17 and 18. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we are grateful again for this privilege of corporate worship and Lord, we ask you to move in our midst Lord, to touch our hearts and change our lives. To transform us, Lord, for your glory. And as we think today about your word, as we think about families, God, would you just give us great understanding and, Lord, wherewithal, inclination to respond to what you show us. Help us understand the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And help us to think about the power... of of modeling to demonstrate to our children what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Here in Philippians, Paul is writing to the church there in the first century city of Philippi. And he has many things to say to them. Uh, throughout this book, but I want to focus in on what he says in verses 17 and 18. Now, you need to understand that he's not talking specifically to parents here. He's talking to the entire church, but of course, parents are included, and the principles here are of utmost importance to parents, to grandparents, to aunts, to uncles. These are important things for us to think through. Why? Because our children, need godly examples to emulate. He he says there, join in imitating me. And then he says in the next verse, verse 18, don't imitate the wrong folks. You understand that there are plenty of bad examples out there in society that we don't want our children to imitate. And, And if we don't want our children to imitate the wrong examples, we've got to provide the right examples, which means that parents must understand the principle of modeling. The principle of modeling. This this idea of living an example before our kids is what William Farley, in his book, The Gospel-Centered Parent, says is the first principle of parenting. The first principle of parenting is our example. You see, parents have a unique opportunity to constantly and consistently provide an example of Godliness. I was reading a quote from a Puritan writer from the 1600s, and he wrote this. Consider, to parents, consider that there's no one in the world more likely than you to be instruments of their eternal good. Read that again. Consider that there's no one in the world more likely than you to be instruments of their eternal good. Why? Because you're around them all the time right? You, you're with them all the time. You have a unique opportunity to, to leverage the power of example in your children's lives. So, parents must understand, they're going to do this, first of all, the prerequisite of modeling. Before you can model uh, the right thing before your children, you need to make a decision. And, and here's what Paul said over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He said, Be imitators of me, but it doesn't stop there, as I am of Christ. You see, the prerequisite of modeling is this, that you are modeling your life after Jesus. That you are following the pattern that Jesus Christ has set for you. And if you are not following Christ, listen, you're not ready to be a model for your kids the only way you could ever expect to influence them for good is if they see Jesus in you. I mean, they don't need to see you. They need to see Jesus in you, right? And so Paul says, imitate me, which is a bold, bold thing to say, right? He's saying, listen, if you want to know Corinth, Philippi, if you want to know how to live the Christian life, look at me. Wow, what a claim. But then he says, Remember, I'm seeking to imitate Christ. To be effective examples for our kids, we must imitate Christ. Now, I'm not talking about perfection here. There there are no perfect parents. Can I get an amen? No perfect grandparents, no perfect aunts or uncles. There's no no perfection here. But it does mean that our loved ones see us being changed and transformed into the image of Christ. Why? Because we want to be. That's what this means. So, here's the question I want to answer for us this morning. What should we model? If we're going to be an example for our kids, what specifically do we want to model before them? I've got an answer to this question, and we're going to look at the wider context of Philippians to answer this question. Because Paul shares some things about his life, that he wants them to model like he says there in Philippians 3, verse 17. So we're going to answer the question, what should we model? Now understand, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just thinking Paul's thoughts from the book of Philippians, all right? We're going to think through what it looks like. as maybe a starting place of things that we can model for our kids. So here's the first thing, you ready? A great commission lifestyle. A great commission lifestyle lifestyle. Now you might ask, what in the world is the Great Commission? Well, at the end of Matthew chapter uh, 28, the last chapter in that book, Jesus gathers his disciples together and says, I want you to go to all the people groups of the earth and make disciples. That means share the gospels. So they become followers of me. And then I want you to baptize them like we just did a little earlier in the service. And I want you to teach them all that I've commanded you. So Preach the gospel so people are saved, then teach them how to walk with me. That's called the Great Commission. He commissioned his disciples to go and share this good news with all the peoples on the face of the earth. He said, well, that was for the disciples, or that's for preachers, or that's for missionaries. No. Right there in the Great Commission, Jesus says, everyone who's saved, everyone who's a disciple of mine is to be taught all of my commandments, including that commandment to make disciples. And so we all live under the authority of the Great Commission. We're all called to be Great Commission Christians. And if our children are going to be Great Commission Christians, they need to see that model, they need to see an example of that in their family's lives. And so we see Paul living this Great Commission lifestyle. Uh, Two things about this Great Commission lifestyle. First of all, Paul was passionate about the message of the gospel. Look what it says over in Philippians 1. Philippians 1 verse 3. Paul writing this letter says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It's the message of salvation that comes through christ it's the message that jesus left heaven came to earth took on humanity and as the god man lived a perfect life went to the cross and died for our sins he was buried and early on the third day he rose from the grave which means he's alive today and he's mighty to save jesus christ has done everything necessary for you to be saved from your sin amen that's the, that's the gospel. And so he's saying, I'm grateful of your partnership in the gospel, that you are helping me, encouraging me, assisting me as I go forth sharing that good news. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of with me of grace. Because both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he's saying, you are helping me, encouraging me as I defend and confirm the gospel. That word defense there is the word apologia. So we get the word apologetics from, and apologetics, it doesn't mean that we apologize for our faith. The word apologia means that we defend our faith. It means that we are able to articulate the good news in such a way that we can help people to understand it well and overcome objections to it and stand for the truth of it. That's what apologetics mean. And and so Paul's saying, I I have lived my life to, to defend the gospel, to stand for that message, and to confirm the gospel, to make sure the gospel is front and center everywhere that I go. That was Paul's passion. Paul was passionate about the message of the gospel. And listen to me, if, if we want our children to be great commissioned Christians, they need to see, listen to me, a passion for the gospel. Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, people that are excited to be saved. That's what they need to see. Parents, listen, that have never gotten over the wonder of grace. Parents that understand that apart from Christ, they are nothing. And they need to see parents that are excited about this good news and talking about this good news. We should talk often in our homes about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. We should share our testimonies of how we came to faith in Christ. We need to model a passion for the message of the gospel because the Bible says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Listen to me, if your children are going to be saved, they've got to embrace the gospel. There's no other way for them to be saved. So we should be excited about that message, and we should be excited about articulating and sharing that message in our home. Secondly, Paul was passionate about gospel advance. Not only was he excited about the message, he wanted to see the message go forth so that people who had never heard it could hear it. Uh, Look what he says in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul was writing this letter from jail, imprisoned for following Christ. And Paul could be down and out and say, you know, I'm trying to live for Jesus and I'm in jail. What's that all about, right? That's not what he says. He says, my imprisonment, listen, has been used by God to get the gospel to people that need to hear it. And he's saying now there are people in jail hearing the good news and they're being saved and the gospel is advancing and spreading. And so Paul's saying, my comfort is not the primary thing here. What is primary to me is that the gospel is going forth. And you and I need to model this passion for gospel advance a great commission lifestyle i can't i can't over communicate how important this is that in our homes we are talking about the gospel in our homes we are talking about taking the gospel to the lost in our homes we're talking about the world there are these great little cards I've been telling you about in our mission, on our missions wall under the prayer section. And we put a new card out every month. And on the front part of that card, there are local mission needs. On the back part of the card, there are international mission needs. And you can take those cards and pray for God to, to move with power so the gospel advances. They're in your home. We just put on a refrigerator and, and during family church, we'll pray over some of those needs. We even had a great conversation on the, the back part of that card. There's there are different unreached people groups we'll put on there to teach you about people in the world. We talked about the Hassa people in Nigeria, over 29 million people. And less than 0.09% are evangelical Christian. 29 million plus perishing and heading for eternity of separation from God. We've got to talk about unreached people groups and, and how you pray for them and, and, and how we need to go and engage them with the gospel. We need to have those kinds of conversations. You say, Wade, that's just for, that's just for preachers. Well, let me tell you about a shoe cobbler that had the world on his heart. In the late 1700s in England, there was a shoe cobbler named William Carey. He was just an ordinary guy but he loved Jesus and read his bible and even though there was no one in any churches doing any kind of missions thinking about the nations he saw in the bible it's everywhere this this gospel advance to all the peoples is 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 everywhere he begins to think about that and he begins to challenge the late leaders of the churches and and, and he went to a meeting of pastors. He stood up one day and said, hey, we should be taking the gospel to what he called the heathen, the people at the ends of the earth. One of the pastors said, sit down, young man. If God wants to convert the heathen, he can do it without us. Ignoring the commands to go with the gospel. So William Carey persisted and began to study and to pray, and soon his Family went to India, and he planted his life there and made a difference. His he, listen, his influence in India is still being felt in 2017. And he was just a shoe cobbler that read the Bible and knew that God wanted him to be a part of the Great Commission. As a matter of fact, William Carey is quoted as saying this: "To know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map." An open Bible, an open map. We need to talk about the nations in our home. Get out the globe. Get out the, the atlas. Talk about people all over the world that are perishing and need Christ. You say, Wade, if if I do that, my kids may go to the nations. Can I tell you this? God has more capacity and ability to take care of your kids than you do. And wait, hey, come in close. God loves your kids more than you do he loves your kids perfectly and he can handle whatever call he places on their life can I get an amen and so maybe we need more open bibles and open maps in our home as we think about the great commission just a thought Paul says imitate me does he wanting to imitate his passion for the gospel, his passion for gospel advance. Let me give you a second thing we should model for our kids. An eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. Look in Philippians 1, verse 21. He's talking there about his, his suffering, the uncertainty of a situation. Would he be released from prison? Would he would he be executed? What, what's going on? He doesn't know, but look what he says in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know what Paul's saying there? It's extraordinary. Paul is saying, if God gives me another day, it's another day that I get to serve Jesus. But if God decides he's done with me here on this earth, and he takes me home to heaven, guess what? That's even better because I get to see Jesus face to face. To live is opportunity for Christ. To die is gain. It's even better because your faith becomes sight. You know what that is? That's an eternal perspective. How do you stop a man like that? I'll throw you in jail if you don't stop preaching the gospel. That's okay, I'll preach the gospel in there. Well, if you don't stop preaching the gospel in there, we'll kill you. Hey, that's okay. I get to go see Jesus. Well, we're not going to give you that privilege. We'll keep you in jail. I'll keep preaching Jesus. An eternal perspective. He was not, listen to me, he was not encumbered with the things of life that are just one day going to pass away. He had an eternal perspective in his life. And here's what it helped Paul to do. Keeping eternity in view helped Paul to live a faithful life. Every day to live as Christ, every day is another opportunity to serve Jesus. Every day that God gives me breath, I get to pray, and I get to praise, and I get to proclaim. Why? Because every day is another day to serve Jesus. Do you think about your day like that? Do you think about your Monday like that? Oh, it's Monday. It's, uh, it's another day to serve Jesus. Amen? Keeping eternity in view helped Paul to live a fearless life. To die is gain. If they kill me, I go see Jesus. I'm not scared of death. To die is gain. Lottie Moon said this about her, her uh, reticence to fear. She said, I'm convinced That I am immortal until my work on earth is done. And when my work on earth is done, I get to go see Jesus, right? So keeping eternity in view helped Paul to live a fearless life. Remember, he was writing Philippians from prison. And he says to die is gain. And then third, keeping eternity in view helped Paul to live a focused life. A focused life. Look what it says over in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I pr- listen, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, hey, I've not arrived. I'm not perfect. I've got some some changing left to do. But I know that I'm marching forward, and I know that if I live passionately for the glory of Christ, one day when he calls me home to heaven, there will be a reward for my faithful living. So the, the manner of his life was not based upon earthly comfort. It was based upon the idea that one day he would hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, and he would be rewarded for his labors here on earth. He had an eternal perspective. And that eternal perspective kept him focused on living for Jesus. And so this is hard in our culture. It is really, really hard to for us to understand. And help our families understand. That life is about more than possessions. Jesus said in Luke 12 that a man's life consists of so much more than his possessions. We get so caught up in what we accumulate and what we like and what we have and gadgets and upgrades and all this stuff. And all that stuff just just isn't going to matter 10,000 years from now. Right? It's just not. There, there's not going to be an iPhone 10,500,000 in heaven. Right? I don't think. But but we get so caught up in stuff and comfort and we forget that this life is short and eternity is forever and we need to live in this short life for what's going to matter in eternity. I'll never forget. We had a guest speaker at Seminary Chapel and he painted this vivid picture. He stood there in front of the chapel and he said, Imagine with me for a moment that there is a a line coming through this sanctuary and it it goes infinitely in that direction and infinitely in that direction. It's an infinite line going both directions. Then he said, imagine on this, this infinite line, there's a tiny little dot right here on the line. And he said to us, can you see that? And we're all like, yeah, we can visualize that. And he said, the line represents eternity That little tiny dot represents our life here on earth. And then he said to these preachers in seminary, live for the line, not for the dot. Can I encourage you as parents, as we're trying to model the right lifestyle, the right perspective for our kids, live for the line, not for the dot. There's a third thing that we need to model for our kids. A great commission, lifestyle, and eternal perspective. But third, a growing relationship with Christ. A growing relationship with Christ. Philippians 3, look what Paul says in verse 4. He says, though I have myself Reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, Paul's saying, Hey, you wanna you wanna compare religious resumes with me? Paul saying, Let me tell you about my religious pedigree. I was a religious man. I mean, I went through all the right rituals. I had the right background, the right training and upbringing. When it came to the external commandments of the law, I was was conveying to an outside world that I was keeping those commandments perfectly. Everybody thought I had my act together. If anybody could earn their salvation, it would be me. That's what Paul's saying. That's not possible. Paul's saying I was a religious man. Even to the point where he said, when I saw this new thing called Christianity affecting my my culture and my religious background and threatening what I was familiar with, I began to persecute the church. And then one day on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, Jesus met him there and transformed his life and he was saved. And instead of persecuting the church, he became a proclaimer for the church. And look how his life and perspective changed in Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, my religious pedigree, my religious resume, whatever gain I had, I counted it as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, watch this. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Listen, you can go through the, the rituals of religion. And be far from God, or you can know Christ personally. Which will it be? Paul's saying, My religion could not save me, only Jesus could save me. And now, because I know Him personally, Jesus has become the treasure of my life. So much more important than all that religious stuff. I know the Lord. See, Paul treasured his relationship with Christ above all else. He says there, I count everything in verse 8 as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So Paul's saying, I treasure my relationship with Christ Above all else, I'll never forget when this clicked for me. I was a a believer, but this idea never clicked for me. I was a college student. I was sitting in the 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 pew that my family sat in every week, uh, fourth from the front on the left side. My mom kept a pillow there. All right. It was, and by the way, we don't have saved seat assignments in here. If someone asks you to move from their seat, you back away, take a picture on your cell phone. All right, get their license number, whatever you need to do and get that information to us, and we'll take care of it. We don't do safe seats, all right? We don't, we don't do that. First come, first serve, all right? All right. But in church, we had the same pew, right? And I was sitting there by my mom and dad, and we had a new young pastor that just graduated seminary. He was coming, and he was preaching through the book of Romans. And, and I don't remember the exact context of what he was preaching, but he made this statement, and it and it hit me like a ton of bricks. He said... Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And that never occurred to me. And what my pastor was saying was this. Christianity is more than just coming to church on Sunday. Yes, coming to church is important. Singing songs and praising Him and fellowship and the Word, that's That's vital. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But what about Monday? If you have a relationship with Jesus, He will affect your week too. Amen? And then Christianity goes from being just checking boxes of religion to getting to walk with the King of the universe every single day. And is there, listen, is there a greater privilege than that? You get to know King Jesus in a personal way. Paul says, you can take all the accomplishments of my life and compare them to knowing Christ. He says, all that other stuff is rubbish. I get Jesus. And so we can model this, this this passion in knowing Christ, but it doesn't stop there. look what Paul says. He says in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul not only had a relationship with Christ, he desired greater intimacy with Christ. He already said he knows him. He has a personal relationship with him. Then he says in verse 10, I want to know him more. I want to grow in this relationship. I want to walk with Christ and talk with Christ and, and learn of Christ I want to grow in my relationship. And so here's the question. Do our kids and our grandkids and nieces and nephews, coworkers, friends, neighbors, do they see us modeling a pursuit of Christ? Not just, okay, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Glad I got that taken care of. That's vital, by the way. But I'm saved, and because I'm saved, and it's so glorious, and Jesus is the one that saved me, I want to know him more. I want to experience greater intimacy with Christ. Let me say it this way. Let's get practical. Do your kids ever catch you reading your bible? Do your kids ever catch you praying, talking to the Lord? Do your kids see you say you're sorry when you blow it? Do your kids see this this passion for knowing Christ more and more and more? And more. Not just saying, I'm a Christian, but walking with Christ. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And if you will grasp hold of that, it will transform you. And so, what can we model for our kids? Well, we could go on and on about things we can model. But certainly, it begins with these three ideas. We can model a great Commission lifestyle. And we can model an eternal perspective. And we can model a growing relationship with Christ. Here's the point. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. The power of example is vital in raising godly children. The power of example is vital. As Farley calls it, it's the first principle of parenting. Before you talk about techniques and all these different... Listen, example... Is primary. Modeling what we want to see. Not just do as I say, but do as I do. The first principle of parenting. You say, well, Wade, that's daunting. Well, of course it is. And I would say this to you, it's impossible. That'll bless you, won't it? You can't do it in your own strength and wisdom. As a matter of fact, Jesus said apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you abide in Christ and let him live his life through you and the power of the Holy Spirit is guiding you and strengthening you every day and you are in the word of God being changed by his truth and you are in fellowship with other believers so you can get the encouragement that you need. When God is helping you, you have the capability by His grace and for His glory to begin to model the things they need to see. And I want to say something that might make you feel a little uncomfortable this morning. You say, Wade, what if I've blown it? I mean, what if I've had my kids or my grandkids and and, and all this time and, and I've not been doing that. Just be honest with them. And just say, I'm sorry. I could have provided a better model for you to point you to Jesus and I didn't. But by his grace and for his glory from this day forward, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna love him and walk with him. And and you'll see me stumble and fall but by God's grace, if you want to know how to follow Jesus, you will be able to see it in my life. I love this quote. Parents who joyfully pursue God are contagious. You know, I've noticed that my, uh, the sports teams I cheer for, it's contagious. My kids are all Seminole fans. They don't have a choice. I mean, they, they, they uh, get excited about what dad gets excited about, right? My kids are Yankees fans. On Mother's Day today, we're going to watch the Yankees-Astros tonight. It'll be, we're going to celebrate Claire and watch baseball. It's going to be great. <laughs> my kids get excited about what I get excited about. But listen to me. It's all said and done. And my kids love Florida State and the New York Yankees and don't love Jesus. That'll be a tragedy, right? Parents who joyfully pursue God are contagious. Joyful sacrifice for the gospel is contagious. A gospel that makes parents stable, sincere, joyful, loving, affection, and humble is contagious. Children will want a God that produces these qualities.